0: I mean, I was blown away at at how much I learned and and how much went on here, especially in the time of the Humes and then also around the time of the incorporation. Walking around Humeville now, you would never recognize that unless you've done all this research.
1: Hi, I'm Barbara. And I'm Hope. And we we are the the Heritage Heritage Hunters. Hunters. Each month, we will bring you real stories from real people researching their genealogy and family history to inspire you on your genealogical journey. Joining us today is Joe Coleman, the author of the Humeville Borough 150th sesquicentennial history book. Joe has taken the previous 1972 version and updated it with new content to the content found in the first edition while adding some of the history of the past 50 years. In March 2022, Humeville celebrated the 150th anniversary of its incorporation as an independent borough. Prior to 1872, Humeville was an informal village that was part of Middletown Township. Humeville takes its name from John Hume, who settled there in about 1792. It's really weird. About maybe a week or two before the parade, I had a dream, and in the dream, I had this dream that I was <laughs> talking to a woman named Rebecca Hulme, And like, I don't know anything about the Humes other than they've got a mausoleum at Beechwood. I really don't know very much about them. And then the parade happened and I saw that it was Humeville's 150th anniversary. And so I was like, oh, that's, that would be a really great topic for the podcast because it kind of dovetails in with um, a genealogist doing like a one-place study And then I saw that you were putting out a new book and everything else, so I figured you would be the go-to person to be able to fill us in on how Humeville was founded, under what circumstances, and a little bit about the history, and of course, the events that are going to take place this year, and the new book and cookbook, and how one might order those.
0: I grew up in Levittown. I moved to Humeville about 30 years ago. And my wife's on borough council, and and we got involved in things right when we started here. We, with some other neighbors, organized the, the rebuilding of the playground back in the 90s, and we raised money, and we did this whole community thing back then. And my wife has been on borough council for eight years or so. And you know how small Humeville is. So when the 150th came up, Tom Wheeler, who's the borough council president said, you know, we want to plan some events for this. And we, we think we'd like to update the history. And I was retiring as a history teacher. So he asked me if I would be, be interested in, in working on that. And that's how this all kind of started.
1: I understand there was already a book. So you're updating the existing one. In
0: 1972, the town celebrated its 100th anniversary. And they wrote a history back then. And one of the things I I said to Tom, that history, there was tons of great information in there, but it was more kind of of a book to celebrate the events of that time, as well as tell some of the history. And I said, I would like to go more into depth and write a complete narrative history. That book is certainly the basis for it, but I just tried to dig a little deeper and, and find some more information. And then of course, add information from the past 50 years.
1: So I understand that Humeville was founded in 1796 as Milford Mills.
0: It's a little more complicated (laughs) than that, as I guess most things are. The mill that was first in Humeville dates all the way back to sometime around 1720. There are some records said 1725. I found one account that specifically said 1716, so somewhere around there. And there was a, a group of people who came together, including Jeremiah Langhorn, to kind of finance the building of a dam across the Neshaminy, as well as the mill. That was the first dam on the Neshaminy, like that went all the way across the creek. Smaller tributaries had been dammed for mills earlier, but that was the first one to go across the creek. So, at that point, before that, there was, you know, Grodin's Mansion in ben Salem. The crossing of the creek that many travelers used at that time was at Grodin's Ford, which is a, a little bit north of Humeville. And from what I read, I believe this was in Davis' history of Bucks County. He said that when they dammed that up, it backed the water up enough that that Ford was no longer as useful, but it did create a new Ford just below the dam, which is where the mill was. So then the place became known as as mill for mill at the Ford. And so that goes all the way back into the, like I said, the early 1700s. And it was functioning as sort of a, a little bit of a hub of economic activity. There was certainly by the mid 1700s, there was a blacksmith shop and the, the mill was here. And I think i Recall reading that there was a store, but it was certainly a, a small community. And then, of course, the, the crossing was important because Trenton Road eventually crossed here and continued on down to uh, Dunks Ferry.
1: So was John Hume the first family member to buy property there?
0: Right. He was the first first Hume. And, and the story that's normally told and was in the first centennial, and, and I think it's basically true, is John Hume, his family, some of them date all the way back to some of his ancestors, came over with William Penn. And certainly, they had been here for a long time. And they had lived in Buckingham. They had lived up in, he eventually, when he first got married, moved to Philadelphia for a little bit, then came back, then went up to his wife's. I might have said that wrong. It might have been his father who lived in Philadelphia. But anyway, they were in Buckingham, Middletown, and Falls. And just before he came to Humeville, he was in Falls Township. His wife, his wife's father had a farm there and he was living with him, but he kept adding land onto that farm. And what he did in 1796 was trade all of that land. His wife's father died and he traded all that land for the mills and land here in Humeville.
1: Do you happen to know, are there, are there living descendants of the Humes today?
0: The one thing that was kind of funny was there is a, a daughter who's 30 and she had a good friend growing up and just didn't, and we never knew this this whole time, but her father ends up being John Hume's fourth great-grandson. And he lives right in uh, the neighborhood right across from Hoover, Langhorn Gables, I think. And I, I'm sure there are others around as well. John Hume had had a big family. He had two children, one an infant and one a 20-year-old who died before he came to MILF. But then even when he came here, he had four boys and two girls. And the the boys were not, were not young. They were like two of them, I believe, were married at the time. So we kind of came with a whole community to help.
1: On Saturday, July 9th, 2022, the McHenry County, Illinois Genealogical Society will be hosting their 2022 virtual summer conference starting at 9 a.m. Central. Speakers Maureen Brady, Peggy clemens Lauritsen, Michael John Neal, and Paul Stewart Warren will presenting 16 lectures including Scottish family history research beyond the basics apprentices indentured servants and redemptioners white servitude in America finding maiden names let me count the ways and railroad records and railroad history methods for tracking please visit www.mcigs.org for additional information registration and membership were they quakers yeah they were
0: quakers here at the bottom is the page from the quaker records of all the humes in humeville And all this stuff was available on Ancestry, all the Quaker records. So that really helped with looking into the Hume family, because so much of the Quaker history and records are there. So he moves here in in 96, and his eldest son, William, the eldest one who was still alive at that point, and he was the eldest. He was born in 71, so he was 25 at that time but the others were were close. All the the males were close to 20. His youngest was Rebecca and his wife was named Rebecca. She would have been nine years old at that time. So one of the stories that is in every account of Humeville history that I've ever seen, John Hume in 1809 was visited by Josiah Quincy, who was a member of Congress and also that later became mayor of Boston and president of of Harvard. But the reason it's all in the history books is his wife later wrote a memoir and in that memoir recounted visiting Humeville and what John Hume told her. He said that at the time he moved into Milford, there was only one dwelling house. I don't think that's accurate when we think of, of Humeville. It may have been what was true on the property that he bought, that there was only one dwelling house, but there were certainly other people here at the time because the mills were here. Have you ever heard of County Cornwall? So he lived here and he lived right on the on the edge of Humeville and, and Pendell, And he was working at the mill before John Hume bought it and it, it seems that he probably continued to work at the mill. He lived up until 1830. That's just one example of someone. The, the Van Sant's were here, and there were there were others. There's a Revolutionary War veteran named Blunden, and it's hard, though, because Humeville isn't distinct as a municipality, mm-hmm. so you have to look in Middletown Township and to kind of try and tease out what could have been Humeville. I mean, I was blown away at, at how much I learned and And how much went on here, especially in the time of the Humes and then also around the time of the incorporation. Walking around Humeville now, you would never recognize that unless you've done all this research. The mill that's there, the building that is there now, that wasn't built until 1880. So the original mills was on that location. And then for most of the 1800s, there there wasn't a mill right there. The mills were over on the other side of the bridge, what's referred to as the island mills. And over in that, what's now like a parking lot for the Hume Mill Inn, like that okay. area is where where the mills were over on that side. Um, but then in 1880, they rebuilt a mill at the site of the, the original one. So anyway, the house at, at two Hume Street, it was a Hume home, his son George lived there. And George was the miller, so it made sense he's right across the street. But then in 1814, around 1814, they created the first bank in Bucks County. It was called the Farmer's Bank of Bucks County. And that was its location was in in that house. So John Hume was in the legislature and he was, you can tell from all the things that he did, that he would have been kind of a, a Hamiltonian type of person, that government should be doing infrastructure improvements in order to build roads, promote the building of roads, bridges, and eventually, you know even banks and he was influential in the legislature and so that bank is really a product of the war of 1812 because the economic crisis meant there was no currency circulating and Pennsylvania decided that they needed to create some sort of currency so they allowed banks to be established and john hume was able to get the bucks county bank placed here and just a couple of years earlier he had gotten a post office placed here. And that's around 1809 is when they begin calling it Humeville.
1: Where was the post office located? That's a good question.
0: Some of our accounts say that it was in Isaac's house. He was the first postmaster, but they they located at 5 Green Street. I'm not sure, and and it's possible he lived there as well, but 5 Green Street, from other records, seems like it was built for... Rachel or Elizabeth Knight? It was Elizabeth Knight, who was William and Samuel Hume's mother-in-law. William and him and Samuel Hume married Knight sisters. Five Green Street was built right next to Samuel Hume's house. So some say that was the first post office. It seems the post office in the early years probably moved around a good bit. The Humes did have a store. Johnson Hall wasn't there yet. But they they did have a store in town. Joseph Hume, the youngest son, ran the store. So at times that may have been the post office. Later on, it was in a couple different houses on Main Street, and then also in Johnson Hall for a time. We have a letter from 1811 that was written to Rebecca Hume, and I believe it was to. There were a lot of Rebecca Humes, but the thing I wanted to point out is in in that early time. Look how how Humeville is written, right? As two words. And apparently, officially it had gotten registered in with the post office as Humesville with an S in it. And when they incorporated, they had a petition to take the S out.
1: Tell me about some of the events that the borough has planned to celebrate the sesquicentennial. Did I pronounce that right? (laughs)
0: We've already done a couple. Last year we had a 5K run and then a beer garden down at the what's now the Shore Picnic Park. And that has a whole cool history to it too, that place. We had a celebration on March 8th. That was actually the 150th anniversary of the incorporation. Just in Borough Hall and we we took out some of the things from our archives that people could come see and had a toast and had a slideshow of a lot of the pictures that we have of the history. We just finished a really nice garden tour. So they called it the Humeville Garden Stroll. I think 10 or 11 houses in town and people paid a ticket fee and walked all around town. And, you know, there were snacks and refreshments and they had music and beekeeper was here talking about bees. And they had artists down at the falls painting at the dam, painting the falls there. And then coming up, we have what we're calling uh, the rodeo roundup, which is kind of a kid and family day. And then we also have a dinner in white where basically it's kind of just a pop-up dinner, but everybody's supposed to wear white and bring your own food. We're gonna do down that down near Barrow Hall. Probably the big event and the hope is this is gonna be at, at Grundy's over on the river. This is like the big celebration and it's gonna be kind of a fancy thing over at the Grundy mansion on the river. And there's gonna be music and hors d'oeuvres and hopefully artifacts on display and that's in September. We're going to do the the 5k again in the beer garden. We've also had remote cooking classes that everybody kind of joins together and makes a meal at home. We've made the the cookbook that you referenced earlier. We have those that we're selling in the history book. Oh, the ghost tours. There you go. Yeah. I've got it on
1: my calendar when I can purchase tickets.
0: (laughs) It was was very, very successful. the, The ghost tour last year sold out early on. I mean, people couldn't couldn't get tickets. And the ghost tours, so we have a medium who comes and, and she kind of talks about what she feels in the different buildings that we're visiting, but, but it also includes a lot of history.
1: On Wednesday, July 20th, 2022, the Genealogical Society of New Jersey is hosting "Bountyland: Land, It's Complicated, presented by Annette Burke-Little. Bounty land was offered for soldiers of the Revolution, War of 1812, and Mexican War, but veterans didn't simply take up residence on their land grants. Some did, but many other people ended up with these lands. Learn about laws, people who got involved, and where to find the records. Please visit www.gsnj.org for additional information, registration, and membership. If one wanted to purchase the cookbook and the history book, how would they go about doing that?
0: The best thing, the easiest thing to remember is go to Humeville150.org. And on there, there are links to buying it all, but basically at one of our events or by emailing me, because we actually have both the cookbooks and the history books here at my house. The Humeville Historical Society has archives that the Historical Society was started in 74, and they began collecting things and putting them into archives. And in particular, one resident, Don Hefner, whose family goes back for generations in town. He was the archivist in the early years. And and those archives were the basis for the first book. And they also are what I used extensively in in the second book. So that's like the origins of, of the Humes here. But the hundred, like they go way back, but the 150th was about the incorporation of the town. So that's when they, that's when Humeville separated from Middletown and one part of it was there was a, a grandson of John Hume who was really a town leader. His name was E.G. Harrison. He was, you know, a driving force behind that for sure. But also a guy had just moved into town named James Ross Snowden. He had been the speaker of the Pennsylvania Assembly, the director of the U.S. Mint. He was the forthornatory for Pennsylvania. So he was a very prominent guy. And he just moved to Humeville. This is right around the time that they're starting to build the trains out. This way, And I think he was a big part of it as well, just saw that Humeville, because it had a lot of manufacturing at that time, had potential and and it could do better if it was kind of its own borough. But the other thing that was really big was there was a very strong temperance movement, anti-alcohol. One of the things that was in the first charter was that no alcohol can be sold in Humeville, but the Pennsylvania courts declared it unconstitutional at the time for a borough to try to do that on its own. So it, it never really took, but I think part of what drove incorporation was that, that they just, they wanted to have that control to be able to limit alcohol sales in the town.
1: What was actually being manufactured at the mill?
0: Early on when the Humes were here, it was, it was grains. They also made flaxseed oil. They did have a lumber mill they had, and then it was, two other guys actually who came down and started a a woolen mill. And eventually the Humes end up losing all of that. John Hume dies, his sons end up getting into financial troubles. It's all linked to the bank. And when they lose it, the Farmer's Bank actually takes it over. And one of the directors of the Farmer's Bank was a guy named Anthony Taylor. And he's the one who moved the bank to Bristol. But he also comes back and buys the mills. And then in 1829, they had a big fire, and the main mill after that fire was rebuilt, but it was made into a, a cotton um, mill.
1: Ooh. So
0: that was you know the cotton boom in the South in the 1830s, and they decided they were gonna uh, do that. So that there continued to be a, a grain mill there as well, but cotton was the big thing. Even all the way up into the 20th century, when the new built mill was built, they were still working with cotton. Eventually they moved over into cord and rope as opposed to textiles. And mm-hmm. by the time it closed, it was open until, the ni- until like 1970 and they were making um, mop heads that are made out of cotton rope, you know? That's what they were doing at the end. So I guess cotton was the biggest thing from 1830
1: on. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us about yeah. humild today. On Thursday, July 21, 2022, the Genealogical Society of Pennsylvania is presenting Using Evernote to Capture Notes and Ideas with Drew Smith. Evernote is a cloud-based tool that allows the researcher to capture, organize, preserve, and synchronize information across multiple devices. This presentation will cover how to set up a free Evernote account, how to create and edit notes, and how to clip online articles into Evernote using the Evernote Web Clipper browser extension. Please visit www.genpa.org for additional information, registration, and membership. Center for the American Revolution integrates the collections of the David Library with that of the American Philosophical Society to create a one stop shop for the study of the American Revolution. The David Library collections consist of approximately 8,000 volumes, 9,000 reels of microfilm, and the large Saul Finestone manuscript collection. These collections include material on almost all notable Americans from before the Revolution to the 1850s, as well as prominent Europeans and documents relating to military affairs. This adds to the APS Library's early American history collections, which are particularly strong for the period from 1750 to 1840. The APS has a wide assortment of documents from the revolutionary era. On July 27, 2022, the David Center is hosting Archive Surprise. Join Museum Education Coordinator Allie Rosbond from 1 to 2 p.m. for an Archive Surprise. Allie will be highlighting a couple of objects you might not have expected to find in the archives in this set of talks. Wondering what these objects are? Well, you'll just have to zoom in on July 27 to find out. For additional information, please visit www.amphilsoc.org. On July thirtieth, twenty twenty two, the Genealogical Society of North Orange County. California is hosting their 2022 virtual seminar. Rhonda R. McClure will present four topics that will provide you with new skills to make progress on your family history. Using major genealogical websites in your family history research. Using your computer for genealogical analysis. Using Google in family history research. Mining the treasures in newspapers. All four topics will be presented via Zoom. The registration fee is $20 for members and $30 for non-members. Please visit www.gsnocc.org for additional information, registration, and membership. Thank you for joining us today on Heritage Hunters. This has been a CNC production recorded and mixed by me, Barbara May. We would like to thank our guests for sharing their genealogical experiences and personal stories. Be sure to visit us on our webpage, heritage-hunters.com, and our many social media pages such as Facebook, Twitter, Locals, and more. Please leave us a review, like our page, and follow us to be sure to never miss our show. If you'd like to be on the show or have an idea for an upcoming episode, please email us at 2heritage.hunters at gmail.com. And that's the number 2, heritage.hunters at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast. We hope you'll join us next month on Heritage Hunters. This has been a CNC production.